61. The title of this message is When My Heart is Overwhelmed. Psalm 61, we'll read just the first four verses and then we'll pray. This is a Psalm of David and uh, we're not exactly sure what the occasion was that caused him to write this psalm. Some think it was when he had trouble with one of his kids, Absalom and his rebellion and how heartbreaking that was for David. Um, Perhaps some of his drama was Saul. We don't know, but it it was a time in David's life when he was heartbroken, experiencing difficulty, and he wrote the psalm to the Lord. It says in Psalm 61, verse 1, Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for thou hast been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in thy tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of thy wings. Let's pray. Jesus, we say together this morning that you are greater and more wonderful than anything else in life. You are more desirable than anything else in life, than anything this world has to offer any other person. You're more desirable. We say together this morning, Jesus, that we trust you in good times and in bad times. In sickness and in health, we are wed to you, Lord, and we trust you. We say together this morning that you are a faithful God. That you are the God who gives and you're the God who takes away and blessed be your name. And we ask that in our lives, in our church, that Jesus, you'd be bigger this morning. You'd be more beautiful in our hearts and minds. The Holy Spirit, you would do a work that would cause us to long more for the person of Jesus. Say together that your loving kindness is better than life, O Lord. We ask that you'd speak to us and bless us together this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Monday is uh, generally my day off. And uh, last Monday, my wife and I were really looking forward to being together, it had been a busy season and, you know, stuff was going on and the kids were just back in school. And so we were going to have one of our surf dates that we try to have Monday mornings. And that's, that's what we try to do. And that's kind of our date night. We don't have many date nights. We have date days where we go surfing when the kids are in school and I'm off. And we look forward to that on Monday. And we had done that the previous Monday and had a great session down at Jelly Bowl. And we were looking forward to going surfing today. We went to the Channel Islands factory there and we were checking out some boards and, and getting some boards to try and stuff. And we've been there a little bit and we were just getting ready to head to the beach and I got a call from my daughter's school. And they said, Daisy's
they said, Daisy's fallen down. And uh, she doesn't look good. She's having a hard time staying conscious. And she had vomited and stuff. And uh, Daisy had told the lady that was caring for her, you need to call 911. I need to go to the doctor. But it was just a small fall, you know. And she falls all the time. Stuff wasn't really making sense. And so my wife and I kind of rushed out there and grabbed her and took her to the emergency room and they could tell that something was real wrong and they started examining her and they thought that she had ruptured her spleen on the fall and they did a CAT scan and stuff after doing a, a quick ultrasound and, and then they thought maybe her kidneys were ruptured and there was a big mass in her abdo, abdo, abdomen that they thought was a bunch of blood and we got out of the emergency room and they put us in ICU while they were trying to figure out what was going on. And there was a lot of doctors kind of looking at stuff. And after we had been in there a while, uh, one of the doctors came and said, That's, that mass that we're seeing in her abdomen is not blood. Um, it's a tumor. And it was about the size of a Nerf football. It went from down inside her pelvis bone all the way up to in her diaphragm against her lungs. It took up more than 50% of her abdominal cavity. And so they said, we're going to try to figure out what this tumor is. And, and they either connected all the machines there, so on and so forth. And after we had been in there a while, they came in and they said, well, we, we think that your daughter has cancer. We think it's a Wilms tumor. And it's the biggest one we've ever seen here. And we're going to have to operate. And so we headed toward the operation, which was going to be Thursday morning. That was Monday. They scheduled it for Thursday morning. And in the meantime, they were just caring for her in the ICU and uh, we had been talking with the surgeon, and the surgeon said, you know, it's really, it's really big. And uh, it's complicated because it's got itself near the vena cava and the aorta, which are the blood supplies that come down and then fan out. And it's all around the, you know, it's kind of connected with some organs and stuff. And he didn't seem real confident that he was going to get it out. And so we started praying, and you guys started praying, and, and people were praying all around the world. And we heard of whole churches that were praying around the world. And Thursday morning, she had that operation at 7.15 a.m., and, and miraculously and wonderfully, they got the whole, the whole tumor out. And uh, when they got the tumor out, we talked to the, the surgeon afterwards, and he said the tumor had been hemorrhaging into her, her body, which makes it stage three cancer because it's been, you know, leaking cancerous cells into her body. So we get the... Uh, we get the final reports back tomorrow. I can't remember what they're called tomorrow, hopefully. And we find out for sure if it's stage three cancer. And we think it's a Wilms tumor, which means it's a kind of cancer that's highly treatable and there's a high cure rate. But we're looking at seven months of uh, chemotherapy and probably radiation ahead of us. And what I want to talk about this morning is what do you do as a Christian when the doctor says to you, you're five-year-old, has cancer. 
How do you deal with that? How do you process that? As a people of God who know God, where do we go? And immediately, if you're a Christian, your mind goes to Jesus. It's immediately where you go. As, as soon as I heard your daughter's fallen and she's not doing well, my mind went to Jesus. As soon as I got to the emergency room and they said, we think it's this, we think it's that, my mind was going to Jesus. And when the doctor stood before me and said, it's the biggest tumor we've ever seen of this sort and we think it's stage three cancer, my mind went to Jesus. That's, that's where we go. That's where Kate and I's mind went. That's where our family's mind went. But how is it that we think about Jesus? What informs our thought processes in these times of life? What shapes the way that we handle that? And I've realized more than ever that what shapes that is the word of God. Just this book that most of you have on your lap right now, the Bible. The moment we heard these things, our mind went to Jesus, but, but our, our mind took a certain route. Uh, and this is what I want to impress upon you this morning. I want to say, as I've said to you as a church thousands of times, to read your Bible. Because we immediately went to Jesus, but we went a certain route. We went through the word of God. Immediately, our hearts and our minds were filled with truth. Immediately, our hearts and our minds were filled with the character of God. Immediately, our hearts and minds were filled with the story of God and the story of God's people. Immediately, our hearts and our minds were flooded with with precepts and passages and doctrine. And I, I didn't have to open the Bible. We didn't need someone to come along and, and quote scripture. It was just there. It's like the book of Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Because the word of God is living and active. And it's supposed to interact with us at these times of life. And we all have these times of life. And there's untold kids that die every single day innumerable families that have tragedies every single day. We all have to deal with this kind of stuff. But the word of God is living and active. And immediately, it was a comfort, and it was a lamp, and it was a light, and it was an instructor. And immediately, it took us to the feet of Jesus because we had done one simple thing in life. We had committed to reading our Bibles the word of God, that we had this strong fallback position. And what it did was it protected us from the schemes of Satan. I don't know if we always realize how wicked Satan is, that at the moment a doctor tells us that our little baby has cancer, he would love to come in and capitalize upon that. He has no sympathy. He has no mercy. He has no compassion. He has no shame. But the word of God was like a shield against the schemes of Satan. And then there's the pitfalls of the flesh. There's all those places where your mind wants to go and your emotions want to go. But the word of God then begin to inform and control and shape our thought processes and our emotions. And it was like this flood of the word of God. And we we're bombarded with be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And let your mind dwell on that which is true and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise and of good repute. 
And this would shape and control and protect our hearts and our minds. And we begin to think upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection power. And Paul speaking about sharing in his sufferings. And we think about the book of Hebrews that we learned together. And that we have a sympathetic high priest who's touched by the feelings of our infirmities, who's there, who's near, who cares. And it protected us at the moment where our heart was overwhelmed. And our psalm says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And Jesus is that rock. And the way that we are led there so often is through the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 25 says, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Paraphrase, in the worst moments of life when I don't know how to get off the floor, your word does something in me that brings me back to life. Psalm 119 verse 28, my soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. There's strength that is drawn in those moments of life that's supernatural, otherworldly because of the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction that your word has revived me. And I want to testify this morning, just going through life, just like you guys go through life, that we've been revived by the word of God this week. It's been the absolute worst week of our lives without question, but we've been revived by the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 162 then says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. You see, because we just committed in life to knowing the word of God, at those heartbreaking moments in life, we weren't groping around like a man in the darkness. We weren't reaching for something that wasn't there. We weren't reaching for somebody else. Jesus was readily found by us and the pathway was the word of God. And so what I want to encourage us in this morning is that when our hearts are overwhelmed, we need to have already fed ourselves on the word of God. Choose to be in it. Choose to believe it. Choose to trust in the word of God. I know that there's difficulties with the word of God, but there are also plenty of reasons to believe in its inerrancy, its infallibility, its authority. I know that there's some difficulties But is there not plenty of reason to believe that this is the living, actual, true, trustworthy word of God? Just because there are some difficulties doesn't mean then that we cease to trust. I have some difficulties in my marriage. But when my wife tells me that she loves me, my mind does not immediately go to, but I think you're committing adultery. That would just be so wrong and so silly and so wicked. And so when the word of God speaks to us, even though there's some parts we don't understand, we don't immediately go to, well, then I don't trust it. I know that some scholars are going there. I know that the seminaries have gone there. I know that the church in America is going there, but I'm telling you, don't go there. The word of God is a living, active, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, true word of God. Have it in your heart and have it in your head. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Because in those moments 
But when they look you in the eyes and say your five-year-old daughter has cancer and a tumor the size of a football, you better know some Bible. Not for the sake of the Bible itself, but because the Bible tells us about Jesus. I said at the beginning, our hearts and our minds immediately went to Jesus, but it took the path of the word of God. You see, our thoughts about Jesus are informed. Because of the word of God, we knew that God is faithful. We knew that because of our studies in the word of God. I'm only in my 30s, so I barely live long enough to know that God is faithful. But when I go into the word of God, I see thousands of years of history. I can see there that God is faithful. And we can hear the testimony of men and women who have experienced the faithfulness of God. Psalm 62, just maybe one page over. Verse five, again, David, my soul, wait in silence for God only. My hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And it was these kind of thoughts that protected us, helped us, strengthened us, upon which we fed during these times. Psalm 91 also came to mind. Verses one through four. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The first prayer that we said out loud my wife and I there in the emergency room and my mom had just gotten there and it was the first time that we had a chance to really hold hands and pray out loud was that prayer. We just said, God, we trust you. We trust you right now with our daughter's life. You give and you take away. Whatever the outcome of this is, we want to say that we trust you, God. I don't know how to say that unless we've been nourished by the word of God. Verse three of Psalm 91, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. And so then because of the word of God, we knew to hide under the wings of God. We knew to cling to the person of Jesus. We knew that metaphor, that phraseology, that thought. We knew that his character would be a shield for us, his faithfulness. And that's been nourishing us. Psalm 37, verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And what I want to tell you guys is now is the time to feed on the faithfulness of God. Just like a little lamb that's been out in the pasture, you got to feed He is a shepherd and we are the sheep of his hand. And how do you feed but on his faithfulness? And we do that in the word of God so that when it happens then in the life of people, there's a context and there's a base from which to work. Believe me, we will get to experience his faithfulness personally. But we have a context from which to work when we're in the word of God. We're reminded by the word of God that God is in control. We thought of Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
Because we're not always going to understand when a five-year-old has cancer, especially when it's yours, because it's always someone else's. But remember that God is in control. He doesn't promise us understanding. He promises us peace beyond understanding, Philippians 4. Because of the word of God, we're reminded that God is good and that God cares. This has been one that my wife has been quoting to us several times this week. Psalm 56, verse 8. The psalmist says to God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Now, so when we got the worst news of our lives, all this doctrine, all these precepts, all these passages, all this truth was already in there. And it kept us from going to that place of saying, why? I I, want to testify that by the grace of God this week, we've never said why. Because the word of God doesn't necessarily give us the whys. And his ways are higher than our ways. Lean not on your own understanding. The word of God already told us that. And so it kept us from that unhealthy place of why and why me, which inevitably goes to how could you do this? Which inevitably goes to don't you care? Which inevitably goes to are you really good? Which inevitably goes to can I believe your word? Which inevitably goes to, can I really believe in the character of Christ? Which will take you to, can I believe in the resurrection of Christ? Which will take you to, can I believe in the cross of Christ? And then where are you? By having been fortified by the word of God, we never had to ask why. We simply always said, we trust you, God. I don't say that to boast. I say that to encourage us. And that's no great faith of ours. It's just because we read our Bibles that we had that context from which to work. And, and then we're able to deal with God when he doesn't heal. Th- then we have the faith for that. Faith comes by hearing the word of God because we ask God to heal and there are thousands of people praying around the world And I'll tell you what, I believe 100% that God is able to remove tumors in an instant. I've seen him do it. I don't care if it's the size of a football. I've got faith to believe that God could do that in an instant. And we asked him to do it. And he didn't do it. I held my little five-year-old in my hands and said, God, just take the tumor away. You can do it in an instant. It's nothing for you. You raise the dead. She's not yet dead. You can do this. And he didn't do it. And I will tell you that it takes more faith to endure Christ not healing your daughter than it does to see him heal your daughter. And I would rebuke the word of faith movement that says if God doesn't heal you, it's some deficiency in your faith. Are we to say then that the five-year-old little girl laying in that bed this morning had a deficiency in her faith and so God refused to heal her 
Is that what we learn from the word of God? That's not what we learn from the word of God. That comes from the wicked heart of man. God is able to heal at all times, but he doesn't heal at all times. If anybody ever had faith, it was the apostle Paul. God didn't heal him. God said expressly, I will not heal you. My grace is sufficient for you. Christ was not healed, but he died on the cross. And if Christ should suffer and die, why would we think we should not suffer and die? If God would let his own son be tortured and nailed to a cross, who are we to think God is wrong if he lets our own children die of cancer? Is the life of my daughter more precious than the life of Christ? Or of the thousands of children who are dying at this moment? who don't have emergency rooms and wonderful surgeons and thousands of people praying, who die in obscurity. We esteem the life of men too high over the word of God and the person of Christ. For the church, it is a delight that we should share share in the sufferings of Christ, that we might know the glory of Christ and the power of his resurrection. And if Christ would take our babies today, we would see them in glory tomorrow. And we don't grieve like the unbelieving world because we know in whom we have placed our trust that he is the resurrection and the life. And when David's little baby died, he got up and he washed himself and he ate. And he said, I will see that child again. And so I was reminded of Psalm 119, verse 71, which says, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And this is a weird place to go. And we even, I think I've experienced some tinges of guilt for going there this week. But because of the word of God and the character of Christ, I've been able to say repeatedly this week, this is good for us. I've been able to hold my hand, the hands of my wife and say to her, not as a preacher, not as a pastor, but as a parent, as a fellow experiencer of the troubles of this world and the results of sin, I've been able to say, this is good. And we rejoice in this. We don't rejoice in cancer. But you see, the word of God tells us that we have a Christ who is bigger than cancer who is more valuable, more wonderful, and who's given us a resurrection. And so we're able to say, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Because until we experience affliction, all these things are merely theoretical. And I will confess to you that many of the things that I've read and preached and taught have been theoretical. It doesn't mean I don't believe them, I believe them. I believe them is absolutely true. Just like I believe in gravity, but when you jump out of an airplane, you believe about gravity in a different way. It's just all the more real all of a sudden. It's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. I can't tell you how many times from this pulpit and other pulpits I've spoke about Romans 5 
It says, we rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how often I've quoted that and taught that and believed that. But I never experienced that like I've experienced that this week. So many of you already have. You know, I confess that I'm too young and sometimes I think I'm too young to be an effective pastor. I do more weddings than I do funerals. We do more baby dedications than we do hospital visits. It's just where we're at as a church. This is where I'm at as a pastor. All my friends are having babies. They're not yet dying. And so I haven't experienced a lot of affliction in my life. Some of you have. Kate and I lost a child some time ago. Had a miscarriage. My wife said something interesting this week. She said, you know, every time we start a church, it seems like it costs us a kid because it was a week before we started this church, Reality Carpinteria, that we had our miscarriage and just a couple weeks after starting Reality Ventura that this happened with Daisy. And I don't know the mind of God and the heart of God and I don't know if those things are connected or not. But I know that Jesus said, if you're going to follow after me, you've got to count the cost. I know that Paul taught us not to consider our lives more precious than the person of Christ and to esteem everything else as rubbish in light of knowing him. And so these things now are coming out of the theoretical and they're becoming real. And then what we find out is this beautiful truth right here that we really do know Jesus. That's where we want to end up. I discovered this week that we really do know Jesus. And and what I want to challenge us in as a church is do we really know him? Some of you don't. Some of you are going through the motions. You're religious. You show up to church and you go to Campus Crusade and you go to this event and that event and you got these worship albums, but you don't know Jesus. And I want to encourage you to get to know Jesus. Is he for you, like our psalm says, a tower of strength and a refuge? Is he your default? Is he the first place you go? Is he the final word? Is he the ultimate comfort? Is he the ultimate goal? Is he your greatest desire? If he's not, you don't really know Jesus. Do you want to, like the psalmist said, dwell in his tent forever, take refuge in the shelter of his wings? I struggle with that this week. It's not without its struggles. I'll tell you, there's times where I'm concerned I don't really know Jesus. And there's a reason he had to give us the commandment that we shall have no other gods before him. It's because we have a proclivity toward having other gods. And finding more satisfaction and joy and pleasure and excitement and other things other than the person of Jesus. There's times like this where those things are just kind of shaken. Psalm 63 came to mind for us this week, starting in verse one. O God, thou art my God. I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns for thee. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory. Look at this. 
Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise thee. So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift my hands in thy name. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Can you say this in your life? This week over and over again, in my spirit, in my soul, not always out loud, but always real, I've erupted into worship to who God is. I don't say that to boast. I say that to testify that Christ is more wonderful than any other person or relationship. My mom taught me at a very young age that she loved God more than she loved me. I've told you that story before. And that affected me profoundly in my life. It's helped to keep me from idolatry of relationship with other people. And so we've taught our kids. And I can't tell you how many nights I've been ministering to Daisy when she's going to bed in times past. And I've told her, Daisy, I love you. Daddy loves you more than anything in the world. And she always corrects me and says, no, Daddy, not more than God. You love God more than you love me. And I love God more than I love you. And that's the most wonderful thing you could ever hear as a Christian. Part of the thoroughly corrupted human side of us feels a cutting when we hear our children say, I love God more than you. And worries about what our children might think when we tell them that we love Christ more than we love them. And yet this is the first and greatest commandment. And if we fail in that one, we're failing in all of them. And I've been tested in that this week. I want to ask us, are we obeying the first and greatest commandment? Start in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And Jesus echoed this in the New Testament and said, this is the first and greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that has been tested in our lives this week. In the furnace, we've had to discover if that was really true. There comes a time when Jesus has to show up on your beach in the midst of your stuff and say, Peter, do you love me more than these? He went to Peter's beach on the north end of the Sea of Galilee in the midst of his stuff and his world. And part of the restoration of Peter was Christ looking him in the eyes and saying, do you love me more than these? And the text doesn't tell us what these are. It leaves it ambiguous that we might always think that these are everything. And Christ showed up on my beach this week 
in the midst of my stuff and said, do you love me more than these? And immediately, the psalm came to mind. Your love is better than life. When I had the dark night of the soul on Wednesday night, I had to say goodbye to Daisy. Thursday morning was her operation and you know, so many people had faith that they'd get the whole thing. My dad knew that they would get the whole thing and, and so many of you were full of faith um, and I have faith for that but God didn't let me go there. God had me with Daisy all the night and in the middle of the night he stepped into my beach and said, Britt, do you love me more than these? And I had to say to God on Wednesday night in the middle of the night that, God, if you let my daughter die tomorrow, nothing changes between me and you. Nothing changes between us, Jesus. I will yet praise you. You give and you take away. Blessed be your name. I love my little baby, God. But I love you more. And I trust you. I don't need to understand. I trust you explicitly. Examine your lives today because life could be very different tomorrow. Make sure Jesus is number one. Lord, we thank you that you're worthy of these things that you're worthy of being number one. And we just ask that Holy Spirit, you would come and minister that truth to each of our hearts. Right now, Lord, that you come and free us from all sorts of idolatry. That there be nothing that we would esteem is more important than you nothing that would garner more affection than you. And that we would discover that we really know you. And then that would be unending strength. But Lord, deal with our hearts now, today. Because tomorrow could be radically different. And Jesus, we honor you. Thank you that you're the kind God that keeps track of our sorrows and store up our tears in a bottle. It's not that you're uncaring. You're more caring than we could ever imagine. Come Holy Spirit. Beautify Jesus in our midst. If there's anybody here, Lord, that has never repented of their sins and received your forgiveness, I ask that you would heavily convict them of sin today. Pray that maybe for the first time the reality of their sin and the brevity of their life would weigh upon them in an unbearable way. And then Jesus, you'd be revealed in your forgiveness and your offer of eternal life and the hope of the resurrection. And that though we decay day by day in the physical, we're being renewed day by day in the spiritual and that your love is better than life. 